This episode of The Sleeper and the Bus is brought to you by Out of the Park Baseball 18, the best baseball strategy game ever made. Available now on PC, Mac, and Linux platforms. It's officially licensed by MLB and MLBPA, allowing you to take any team from any era, from any level, and run it the way you want with unprecedented depth, control, and authenticity. New for this year, 2017 opening day rosters, historic Negro League integration, run the ultimate what-if scenarios, tournaments, fall leagues, a redesigned injury system, an improved 3D game, real-time presentation, and game highlights, improved player morale, and team chemistry, and so much more. Out of the Park Baseball 18 has the full sleeper in the bus stamp of approval. We all play it and have for years. Even better, if you buy now through the Sleeper in the Bus podcast, you'll receive a special 10% discount off the retail price of $39.99 by going to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, and just enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout to not only get a discount, but also help support the Sleeper in the Bus, indie sports video game development, and all the people who work to bring you the great game of Out of the Park Baseball 18. Once again, just go to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, then enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout for a special discount and to support our show. Guys, I, I'm obsessed with this game. It is so much fun. Um, I played a lot of OTP17. You guys have heard me talk about my Twitch streams, twitch.tv slash peacefor24. I was streaming my 17 franchise over there. I, I, I did a fantasy draft in 1995. I was able to get Ken Griffey Jr., and Pedro Martinez. I don't know what the computer was thinking there, uh, letting letting both of those guys get there. I took Pedro with my first pick, and then and then got Ken Griffey Jr. I haven't started my new eighteen one for um, for streams yet, but I'm going to. And I'm actually just gonna gonna start over. I, I I won the World Series that first year with the with the seventeen team, but I'm gonna start a new one. We'll do the draft at some point soon, so stay tuned for that. But out of the park is is just so much fun. You've heard me talk about. Uh, other baseball video games I like, they're, they're two different experiences. This is the sim, in-depth, management sort of deal, and then the other game is, is playing. So um, I absolutely love this game. One last time, ootpdevelopments.com. Sleeper18 is, is your discount code. Uh, that lets them know that we, that we sent you there, and they give you a little bit of uh, a little bit off the top as well. If you do play the game, let me know. Let me know what you're doing with it. Let me know what, uh, what team you're going with, whether you're starting historically or going from now. Uh, if you do the fantasy draft, hit me up on Twitter, at Spora. I love kind of seeing how people go because it, it doesn't just play out 100% to, to history. Things can change and you can have guys you know you can have a failed prospect that actually pans out for you so i I love seeing that stuff definitely hit me up there um and 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 thanks for supporting the show by by going to ootpdevelopments.com Hello and welcome to episode 469 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, June 14th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I'm flying solo today. And we're going to be talking some pitching. And there's no unifying theme with all these pitchers. It's just a handful of pitchers that uh, I kind of wanted to talk about. And I figured this was kind of the best way to do it is to to use the solo episode to kind of dive in on them. Some guys are, you know, a little bit more known. Kind of want to talk about what they've been up to. And then... Uh, more of them are, are recent risers or, or guys that were recently called up. So I guess 
if there was anything close to a theme, it would be that. But again, these first few guys are, are going to show you why I couldn't just say uh, that's the theme of today's episode. So let's just go ahead and, and dive right into it. I'm going to start with a guy that's trying to make me look stupid and doing a good job of it so far. Which, listen, it's easy to make me look stupid. We all know that. But Robbie Ray is taking it to the, he's like an all-star level of making Paul look stupid. Um, big week last week and I was concerned about it because he had two home starts and, you know, I wanted to see something like this guy has not proven in any capacity that he can succeed at home. Robbie Ray hasn't. And coming into last week, he, he was on a big run, but it was all on the road. And so, you know, despite having San Diego on the home docket, which certainly lessens the burden of, of what you have to do. I mean, they're just not a, a, a powerful offense. Even with that, I had my concerns. And he dominated. He was awesome. He put up six and two-thirds, three hits, one run, two walks, 11 strikeouts against the Padres. It was a solo home run. And then basically emulated it, take away the home run, add on a couple walks and a strikeout uh, against Milwaukee. Now, that is a real challenge in my opinion. I, I, I put plenty of weight into that one, into that outing that he had on Sunday. Again, like I said, pretty much emulate six and two thirds, three hits, zero runs, four walks, 12 strikeouts. Uh, so, so two nearly identical, excellent outings, both game scores over 70, 73 and 76 respectively, keeping a streak of five straight with at least a 73 game score and uh, game score for those that don't know, it's a Bill James stat that just kind of takes your performance, starts at 50 and kind of takes your performance uh, between, you know, recording outs, strikeouts, the, the stuff you allow hits and runs and walks and and makes a number out of it and um you know once you start getting over 60 that's that's usually a pretty good outing and then anything you know under 45 i would say it, you can't really have a good outing like there there there's obviously a lot of ways to get to a certain number but it's hard to have a bad 60 or a good 45. You can kind of be in between there on that 46 to 59 range. Um, and then once you, obviously you start getting beyond say 65, now you're getting somewhere. And so five straight of 73 or better really gets to the heart of what Robbie Ray's doing. He's allowed one run now in his last 37 innings, 48 strikeouts, nine walks. Really love that part of it, the nine walks. And nearly half of those came in that outing against Milwaukee. So he'd been even better prior to that 14 hits. The dude's been incredible, and he's going to require a deeper dive, which I will uh, commit to doing sometime here in the future. I guess he's going to go, if he went Sunday, then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They didn't play Monday, so maybe he's going to go Saturday. Uh, I guess I can just look here and see when he's going to go again. If he's not going to go till Saturday, then I'll try to get something up this week, diving a little bit deeper. He's going to go Sunday even, because they, they have Thursday off as well. That's right, it's a two-gamer uh, with my beloved Tigers that they, they they won the first one yesterday. They finished it up today against uh, Taiwan Walker, Jordan Zimmerman. Another off day, and then a, a, a off to Philly for three games. That's interesting that they get those the double off days there. Probably didn't need an off day going from Detroit to Philly, but hey, they'll never turn down an off day. Um, you know the ball players grind it out usually you know twenty something days at, at a time regularly before getting an off day. So getting two in one week's not bad. But either way, that's going to put Robbie Ray on Sunday. So if I can't get anything up on Friday, then maybe Monday, regardless of how he does at Philly. 
but it'll be interesting to see how he does there. Uh, I think he'll cut them up. They're not a particularly difficult offense. It will be on the road. But here's the thing. So I've, I've watched I watched a lot of both of those starts this past week uh, at home. And the one thing that they highlighted was a change in mechanics where he's really sped himself up. It's interesting because a lot of times you see guys having to slow themselves down and he's actually gone the other way. And so, you know, that's why all this all this sort of stuff in terms of pitching uh, is so unique to the individual uh, of what's going to work for them uh, that may have worked for somebody else or may not have. And again, a lot of guys having to slow themselves down, he's actually sped himself up. Now, the one thing I was a little bit uh, curious about, and this is something I'll probably do when I am researching uh, on on Robbie Ray, is find out when it really started because they the the comparisons they used that showed him kind of slowed down was like his second start of the year, I think, back on April 11th, and then the one of him sped up was the at Pittsburgh start on May 30th, but his run really got going at San Diego on May 20th. So was there something in between the May 14th start and May 20th start that that triggered Robbie Ray to say, you know what, I got to speed up a little bit, keep myself in rhythm, and and that's going to help me get going because, I mean, again, five brilliant starts in a row. And, um, you know, I've always acknowledged that he's a good road pitcher and the strikeouts are there, but the fact that he's not walking guys and finding success at home, that completely changes his game. So I'm still monitoring and I'm still interested, uh, you know, to kind of deep dive a little bit further, but I certainly have to move him up uh, from where I've had him. It is worth pointing out that even with this run, he still has an 11% walk rate, which is a career high. Uh, and Robbie Ray still has a 41% hard contact rate. So there are still things that I look at and I'm, I'm really curious yeah. about, but uh, his 40% fly ball rate is actually way up from last year, 33 to 40%, but a, a corresponding infield fly ball rate jump too. So there's a lot more pop-ups. So there are aspects that I do like for sure. There's no, you know, there's no two ways around that. Um, but I'm not, a million percent sold that he's now some frontliner, but he is 25 years old. And I'll tell you what, the one thing I will say is that uh, a lot of this success, I, I, I think, you know, um, should help kind of change. Maybe not change. I, I guess it doesn't matter at this point because he's not doing it for Detroit. Maybe he wouldn't have developed with Detroit, but I remember that Doug Fister, Robbie Ray trade got universally panned. And I understood it at the time. I was I was pretty miffed myself outside of the only thing I had to hang my hat on was Dave Dombrowski doesn't usually miss on trades and, and you know, let's hope he let's hope he knows what he's doing here. And uh turns out he, he did again. It's not by the way, doesn't usually miss. There are misses, there are plenty of misses in Dave Dombrowski's career. He's been around uh for decades. So of course there are misses, but particularly with the Tigers, he hadn't had a lot of real big swings and misses on his trades. And so when you saw this one, it was a bit of a head scratcher. Everyone thought you should be able to get more for Doug Fister. The the thing I kept coming to was, well, surely he did his due diligence. He's a tremendous GM. He's well respected in the game. He didn't just take the first offer possible. And uh so maybe you know Doug Fister's value wasn't as high as we all thought. And then, of course, Doug Fister goes out, has a brilliant first year with Washington, and has completely fallen off the map since then. It is worth noting, and that's unfortunate. I really like Doug Fister. Uh, the 33-year-old, I believe, is in the Anaheim, uh, uh, Los Angeles Angels system right now. Uh, meanwhile, 
Robbie Ray is is you know arrow pointing up no matter how no matter how you slice it even if we come out and we say okay there's some things here that uh you know maybe a little bit uh, too much and he's not quite a 262 pitcher but instead he's a 362 even if you add a full run to what Robbie Ray is doing there's a hell of a lot to love about what this 25 year old lefty's doing so I'm gonna I'm gonna fully assess it a little bit more but for sure I'm moving him up um and 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 he's looking good I would Boy, can we can we just not allow so much hard? Why why does he allow so much hard contact? He throws hard. He has good secondary stuff, um, at least particularly with the uh, with, with the slider and the curveball has been a big factor this year. I'm just that one little thing of like, why do you allow so many so much hard contact? It's it's bizarre. Anyway, uh, that's Robbie Ray. Next up is is Garrett Cole, and listen, I've been a Garrett Cole backer from pretty much the jump. You know, it's not hard to get on board with a, a number one overall pick, but you know, just love a lot of of, of what he brings there. He's got the the the, the ace frame, six five two two thirty, the ace stuff, ninety six mile per hour fastball, four pitch arsenal. You know, five if you talk about the fact that he can kind of manipulate his fastball into uh, a, a two seamer or sinker, however you want to call. It. I know that there's classification issues with the two seamer and a sinker. At the end of the day. They're not always that they they can blend. Let's just say that. But either way, so you can have a couple fastballs and three secondaries with a slider curve and change up. The, the the thing of it is though, he's always underwhelmed outside of that one year and even that year, even that big year, 2015 as a 24 year old, two 208 innings with a 260 ERA and a 109 WHIP, 24 percent strikeout rate, five percent walk rate. There's nothing to be against in that year. And yet, it's, I don't know, it's still left a little to be desired. It still was like, you've got more, right? You've got even more. Like, that's how good you are. Because I was I was among those that are expecting him to become, you know, one of the maybe top 10 pitchers in the game. And it's not completely out of bounds to, to still see that coming down the line. You know, you think about a lot of the pitchers these days, and sure, plenty come up. And they're they're good quickly, and and they, and they really kind of take the league by storm. But many more need some time, and and I don't know. You know, I know that the aging curves have changed. I, I wonder. I would like to maybe I'll ask Jeff Zimmerman on this. I wonder if they've changed more for pitchers or hitters, uh, or if it's been kind of equal. But you look up and down the the pitcher rankings, and it's it's generally veterans who have been around for a while. Kershaw, Scherzer, Sale. Keiko's back, um, you know, Urban Santana, I know that he's not in that same class because he's not showing those same skills, but he is up there. Granky, um, but then, you know, you, you do have Ray and McCullers. They're, they're definitely guys on the rise. Strasburg, uh, Carlos Martinez is, is still a young buck, but but he certainly needed some years. Um, you know, and, and then once you kind of get past that point, it really starts to open up. I, I guess I just think, like, with a lot of guys, it seems that they don't necessarily – hit that hit that real big stride until they are in their mid to late 20s the, the the peak that we used to really focus on for guys that 26 to 32 range that we really used to focus on um we don't as much anymore because aging curves have definitely moved up jeff jeff has done the work and so i guess what it is now is you you, you shouldn't ignore a guy who's a young buck just just saying oh, well he's young he can't succeed but at the same time, I think you have to be mindful of the fact that there's still going to be plenty of, of guys who need 
several years under their belt till they really kind of come into their own and figure out this whole pitching thing. And Cole may be one of those guys um, ever, you know, since that 2015 year, he's battled with some injuries. Uh, well, last year specifically when he only made 21 starts. And then the results have been pretty much underwhelming um, these these past two seasons. Well, you know, 2016 and this season so far, 199 innings with a seven and a half strikeout rate. Sorry, I moved over to uh, to to B ref real quick. So I didn't have the strikeout percentage handy. Let me just let me just calculate it real quick for you. all uh, 19% strikeout rate, which not moving the needle much for for a frontliner which is what he's supposed to be seven percent walk rate you still like that but 9.9 hits um this year too many home runs 1.6 so i don't know one thing i will say though is you know he had a good start yesterday in terms of results yesterday being tuesday the the 13th for those that are listening um you know not not right when this comes out seven innings three hits one run but three walks three strikeouts and i think that that really puts a damper on it we're looking so much we're we're desperately looking for a great outing from garrett cole that i think what the danger is overrating this particular start i think there there is a real danger in that and i would be very careful in fact if you look there's a there's a there's a a bookend uh, of of two starts just like this. There was a Washington start on May 17th that was the exact same line except one fewer walk. Seven hits, three runs. Excuse me, seven hits. Excuse me, two times. Seven innings, three hits, one run, two walks, three strikeouts against Washington. Tack on one walk, and that was the same line yesterday against Colorado. Sometimes I try to speak too fast. Just slow it down, Paul. In between that, he was an utter nightmare. Uh, of results, you know, 39 hits and 19 and 30 innings. I really don't need to tell you anything else. That tells the entire story of, uh, you know, underperformance. You don't really need to go much deeper, but 16 strikeouts, eight homers. He was just getting beaten around the yard. Now, the reason I'm not, I'm not super hyped on, on Tuesday start, Tuesday the 13th is because I don't, I don't really see, First off, the three strikeouts, three walks stands out immediately. So he got good results, right? But was he really in command? What was was he pitching that well? Um, you know, his first pitch strike rate was fifty six percent. He wasn't getting ahead of guys. He had a six percent swinging strike rate, which is his worst since that other start against Washington. Even in the crappy starts, so he had a four percent against swinging strike rate against Washington. Then in the four crappy starts, he goes eight percent, six percent, nine percent, six percent. And then 6% in this one. But the reason I said that's the worst since the Washington start is because when you push it out a decimal, 6.1 against the Mets, 6.4 against Miami, and then 6 flat against Colorado. So if you're ranking them, it's technically the worst since the Washington start. Um, and, and, you know, the third worst of the season. He opened the season in Boston with a 4% mark. Then Garrett Cole put up the 4.1% against Washington and then 6% here against Colorado. So that right there is, is you know, not terribly impressive. 22% O swing rate. So not really fooling, not getting ahead and not fooling anybody. 22% O swing is uh, swings outside of the zone, right? Getting guys to chase. 29% for the season, 22% against Colorado. So he, he didn't have them off balance. He wasn't he wasn't tricking them. Uh, you know, he wasn't blowing it by them. I don't see a whole lot here that says, hooray, we're fixed. You know? At the same time, I didn't see anything in the four-star four ugliness that said, he's irreparably broken either 
So it's one of those. Uh, my main point here is that this start against Colorado is not moving the needle for me. So I wasn't overly panicked by the four starts, although four in a row, man, that's that's and they were just all bad. No glimmer of hope there. And and they were all um, kind of weirdly against the NL East, which is not his division, but it was at, at Atlanta. In fact, throw in the, the Washington one, the one that was had good results. Washington at Atlanta, Mets, uh, home and home, and then uh, home to Miami. Five starts in a row against the NL East, kind of weird. Not Not a tough division. Not a division that you would be afraid to face with only one of them being against Washington. And that was the start where he succeeded. It's so weird for Garrico. I can't figure it out right now, and I do wonder if there is an injury there. Um, you know, I, I I can't help but wonder that. I really can't because I just I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of these results that that we're getting out of um, out of Garrico right now. But I will say that his results in the four duds were actually better than uh than his results in this particular game and and that's why do not use this as the impetus to make a move except if that move is to sell him it, you know you're still probably going to be selling low i don't know i don't think anybody's going to see this start and, and come in paying top dollar but if they want to take a gamble maybe you make that move now again rewind before this game and i was kind of keeping status quo saying you know what i'm not gonna i'm not gonna completely jump ship on the four starts uh, I'm not seeing, you know, a major uh, velocity drop. It, there is definitely some Babbitt situation when you're allowing that many hits. There, there's not a spike in walks. So usually, guys, when uh, you know, the first thing we look at, right, is velocity. And and if someone suggests that somebody could be injured, they're like, oh, well, his velocity's fine. He's not hurt. Okay, that's one aspect for sure. But another aspect is control. And if their walk rate spikes, it could be their elbow. I believe it's elbow for command velocity or, or shoulder for velocity. I think that's I think that's the right way to generally look at things. And we haven't seen we haven't seen either issue with Garrett Cole. And I haven't heard anything about him being hurt. So if you look at the four duds, May 22nd to June 8th, he had a 437 Babbitt. And the skills, again, weren't so markedly different than uh, than his season skills. In fact, let's go ahead and take a look here. I'm, I'm pulling up a comparison. Let me lop off that the start from yesterday. Actually, let me keep that in. Let me just keep that in because I think it's in kind of the same vein here of how he's been pitching, which is not at Garrett Cole's best. So I'm going to leave that in here, and let's look at the factors uh, that that I like to look at as far as like plate discipline goes. So. Prior to, to this run here, oh, hang on. Got to move these starts off. Doing it on the fly. Do, 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 do. Uh, we'll leave the Washington start in, I guess. that uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we, we're going to do that. We're going to do that. All right, so his first nine starts, he had a 69% first pitch strike rate, which is really nice, and not just because it's 69, you children. Um I acknowledge 69 every time and I'm calling y'all children. Okay, Paul, chill out. 10% swinging strike rate, uh, 31% O swing rate, um, 50% in the zone. You know, the, the, 
that's Garrett Cole. Those factors definitely work. In these five starts, the four duds and 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 the kind of fake fake gem, he has a uh, 59% first pitch strike rate. So back that off 10% off of what he'd been doing for the year. 7% swinging strike rate. That's three points lower. 27% O swing rate. That's four points lower. And 46% in the zone. So he's not getting ahead. He's not getting swings and misses. He's not filling up the zone. I don't know. I wish I had answers, guys. I'm not always going to have answers when I talk about somebody, though. Sometimes it's just going to be, this is what I'm seeing. This is where I'm at. And, and with Garrett Cole, I'm I'm just kind of chilling a little bit. Now, does that mean I'd be the guy who goes out and buys right now? I don't, I don't think so, Tim. I mean... It, re- it really is price dependent. I know that that answer gets tired after a while because it, it's said a lot, but it's it's always true. It's always going to be true. It's going to depend on what somebody's going to ask. If they're asking anywhere near preseason value, I can't do it. I cannot pay a top 20 starter cost for Garrett Cole right now. But if you give me something more commensurate with, say, a top 40, top 50 guy, I might take a chance. I might take a chance. Bottom line, I don't see a lot to to say that Garrett Cole is broken, but I also don't take a lot from yesterday's start that says that Garrett Cole is back. So if you had a particular assessment coming into yesterday's start, I would not move that needle uh, to the positive based on based on the start against Colorado. All right, Garrett Cole, you, you got a lot of that time there. Let's move on. Jason Vargas. I wrote about Jason Vargas kind of early in the season. Um, I liked a lot of what I saw, if I'm if I'm being honest. I thought that uh, you know there were reasons to kind of be excited about how he was how, generating more swings and misses, how he was playing the fastball off of his great changeup, incorporating the curveball more. And kind of my takeaway was: let's ride with this. Let's roll with it right now. Do not jump off at the first sign of ugliness, a.k.a. the first bad start, because it's going to happen, right? We know that. With these guys that are more fringe or, or, or new to us, too often I see guys want to jump off immediately at the first bad start. And by the way, this is a tangent, but let me let me get this out. The advice to sit a guy, a pitcher, until he has a couple good starts and then putting him back in is the worst advice in fantasy baseball. It is the worst advice in fantasy baseball. Okay, if you want to bench a guy, bench a guy. That's fine. If you are waiting for him to have success and then putting him back in, you're doing it wrong. It doesn't that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't I don't like that as advice. If you believe in a guy if you you know believe that 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 good start is coming at some point like like you're confident enough for example i guess cole would be a decent example right we feel confident that unless they come out and say he's hurt then he's going to have some good starts coming because he's not a 454 era pitcher that's not been who he is that doesn't seem commensurate with his skills you don't bench garrett cole until a start like the colorado one and now put him back in you ride it out Okay, I hate that advice. Anyway, the other end of that is is take a fringe guy like this, like Jason Vargas, and jump ship the second it goes awry. I don't, I don't, 
I do not agree with that at all either. You have to assess it based on what's going on. There are certain guys who are remarkably fraudulent that when they have that first bad start, you can move on, but you never should have been on them. I think uh, Christian Bergman is a great example of that. And at no point was there anything that suggested that you should have Christian Bergman. I know he threw seven shutout innings in, in Boston. That was after he'd given up 10 runs at Washington. And I know he had two more good starts after that. I did not care. There, nothing suggested that Christian Bergman was all of a sudden somebody that could be trusted at all. And he immediately gave back all that goodness with nine runs in two and two thirds against Seattle. Okay. So the, Vargas is not on that level, though. This is a guy who has been a consistent, um, a consistently solid back end of the rotation MLB starter. And to do that for like a decade, you have to have some. Qual- now, he hasn't been a full on back end starter, you know, taking on 180 inning workloads for the whole decade because of, mainly because of injuries. Um, but he does he does have like a, a solid five, six year run there, I think from like twenty ten to twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen. Actually, no, I'm looking now. His injury started in fifteen. That's when he really started to get hurt. And he did have a run from ten to fourteen. So five years there where he was a really consistent number four, number five type. And and um, you know, you could kind of rely on him as as that sort of guy of a finesse sort of lefty who could give you eat up some innings. Uh, not gonna be good on the strikeouts, but solid ERA and whip contributor. Then he gets hurt. Uh, he has sporadic playing time in 15 and 16 coming back from Tommy John, but coming back in from Tommy John in 16, he, that's when we started to see the swing strike rate. We really started to see him play off uh, his, his fastball off the, off the change and, and get those two working together so that Jason Vargas could use the, the uh, qualities of effective velocity to their peak and I think that that's what he's doing, like to the point where, yes, he does throw 86, and that's not special in any way, shape, or form. But when you have a devastating changeup like he does, that's, you know, seven, eight miles, and it's only seven, eight miles slower. It's just uh, the way that he, the, the, the deception of it. It's, some guys have good changeups based on the velocity split, and they're still able to keep their arm action. Other guys have the deception and the arm action, and the split isn't that great, but then there's movement as well. And I think Vargas is in that second class there because. Because he only, you know, he throws it 78 to 80 miles an hour and he throws his fastball 86, 87. Um, and, but I, I, I think we're seeing something where, you know, you can kind of believe a lot of what he continues to have an 11% swinging strike rate. So he had, he had the one uh, ugly outing, the one where I think a lot of people probably jumped off the, the bandwagon with, with Jason Vargas. And he allowed six earned against uh, the Yankees. I don't. Uh, was it in Yankee Stadium? It would make sense if it was, but I actually don't think it was. Hang on, I'm looking right now. It wasn't. And then he actually faced them again in his next outing, Vargas did. He Then he goes there and he throws a baseline quality start, which, you know, isn't too bad uh, for anybody really going into Yankee Stadium. Sorry, I'm taking off this hoodie here, and you probably heard the zipper. Yes, I'm wearing a hoodie in June, okay? Made my apartment really cold so that I could wear the hoodie. I do me, you do you, Okay. Got it? Anyway, so he bounced back with that baseline quality start and six strikeouts. And, you know, pretty much since that bad outing, uh, he's been completely back on track. Eight earned runs in in five innings, and yet people still don't want to believe. I don't know what a guy has to do to prove that there are discernible changes that that you can believe in, right? At his best, he's never really been a home run guy. Uh, Early in his career he was, but in, in, in 2010, 
he really kind of took it to another level. He's at 0.8, and he's really lived in that range, 0.8, you know, kind of 0.8 to 1.0 outside of one really bad year. 2012, he allowed 1.5 homers for 217 innings. So he was either getting guys out or allowing a homer. He had a 385 ERA but a 118 whip. So he was like getting outs, but if they did hit it, it was usually out of the park. Since then, 10.911.8, and then this year, 0.66, if you will, 0.7. So I I look at at, at the things that Jason Vargas has done, and I see positives. Uh, And I think in the pitching environment that we're in, looking to to be negative on somebody just for the sake of, you know, just because they're Jason Vargas and they're 34 years old, you're going to miss out, man. You're going to like, here's the thing. If you're not sure on a guy like this, do the analysis, right? Go watch some starts, see what he's doing and, and see if you believe it then. But if you're just looking at the track record and that's all you've got is to say, well, his track record says that he's a, you know, four ERA guy. And so he's not going to hold the 210. Well, no crap. He's not going to hold the 210. Nobody is saying that, right? So there is going to be some, um, you know, some more bumps in the road. I, I firmly believe that. I'm firmly okay with that, though, too. And he could be, you know, a 370 the rest of the way. Jason Vargas could. And that has value, y'all. We are in a different environment. And I think that um, we're not fully acknowledging that environment. And we being the, the general fantasy baseball community. That a, that a 380 ERA has a lot of value these days. A lot more than it had just a year ago, two years ago. Okay, we're back in that era. Remember when, you know, depending on how long you've been playing, remember, you know, five, six, seven years ago when, uh, or or even longer, of course, if you played in the early 2000s, you definitely know this. When you'd see like a 430 ERA on the waiver wire and that was your target, you could not wait. You're like, oh, yeah, this dude's got a 430 ERA. I'm so psyched to add this major piece to my rotation. We're not quite there, but we're not so far from it that you, like, Two years ago, if you saw somebody with a 430 ERA on the waiver wire, they were not, you were deep in the waiver pool, right? You were you were searching deep at that point. There were 380s that you were just letting, ah, no, he's not good enough. I'll find somebody else. Nah, he's not good enough. Now, somebody with a 430 but decent skills that you think could bring it down to a 380, you're like, hell yes, get on the club, dude. Let's go. And so somebody like Jason Vargas who, you know, is not going to keep a 210. I, I'm I, I'm fine saying that if he does, great. Uh, but I'm fine saying that he's not. He can add a run and a half. He could be all the way up to 360. You know, put him at a 360 the rest of the year. You'd love that. 380, I think, would work. Hell, a four for another 100 innings would work. And But I think he's pitching at a level that's better than that. With his strikeout rate up, um, I would call this a career high. I know last year he had a 23%, but it was in 12 innings. This is a 20% in 80 innings. I, I, I think that makes it better. Um, does that make sense? You know, if, if you have like a certain threshold, I would say that, you know, and 80 innings is still a small sample, but it's looking like he's going to maintain um, this, you know, something better than anything he's ever done. His highest full season career, and we'll, we'll, we'll give the 150 innings in 2013, we'll call that a full season. Um, and that was actually his highest. That was a 17% strikeout rate. I think Jason Vargas is going to beat that. So bottom line, if you're just looking for reasons to, to, to quit on a guy, that I mean, that's fine, but you got to own that. And you're you're going to have misses. 
I think those that are most out on Jason Vargas haven't given him a real look. Because I think if you're kind of wa- if you're watching him, if you're seeing the starts that he's putting up, you're you're seeing why there's success there. It's not baffling um, how he's being successful when you're watching him. And now his last three starts, shut out of Cleveland, Cleveland. I mean they're good. Houston, five innings, two runs, five strikeouts. That's pretty good. Going out to San Francisco is not special, but I like seven innings, one run, six punches. Um, and those are his last three starts. The one right before that, he actually faced Cleveland twice in a row. Five and two-thirds, two runs the first time, and then the, and then the shutout. That's Cleveland, man. And that So he goes back-to-back New York, back-to-back Cleveland, and survives it. He had the one bad outing out of four. You'll take that all day. And if you add up the four, it's 11 earned in... 24 and two-thirds innings which you can certainly you know you can live with that right um that that's the that's the flat four right there actually am i making am i doing that math right let me see here yes that was right okay uh but anyway that's jason vargas i'm i'm still holding right and and until i see like a um something that suggests that he's like really come back to earth as a bat here's the thing though never mind let me scratch that Unless he goes to a level that we haven't seen in a really long time since like 2009 when he put up a 491 ERA, unless he does that, I'm I'm holding the course because even if he goes back to the years that he's had, which have been high threes, low fours, I'm sticking with Vargas. All right, next up is kind of Houston at large. Let's let's just let's just call it that because they've got several pitchers. You know, they now have four-fifths of their rotation on the disabled list with Dallas Keuchel, Lance McCullers, Colin McHugh hasn't started at all this year. Um, so I get, he technically doesn't count if you want to look at their opening day rotation. It was McCullers, Keuchel, Charlie Morton also on the DL, Mike Fires, and Joe Musgrove, and Musgrove just came back. But I guess right when McCullers got hurt, Musgrove wasn't back. So even if you just use the opening day for, you know, starting five, there was 80% of it. Or if you used, you know, their preseason uh, expected starting five, it would still would have had uh, 80% because put in Colin McHugh over Joe Musgrove and he's been on the DL. So either way, this team's been rolling. Everything's been going great. The starting rotation has been a little bit of a, uh, you know, caution area, but they had their two aces. They had McCullers and, and Keuchel just dominating. So as long as they had them, they're good to go. And then Boom, both are on the DL. You know, the the, the popular, probably overused meme on, on Twitter these days is life comes at you fast for, for stuff like this. But it's so apt, especially in, in baseball. And, you know, it could be real life baseball uh, or fantasy baseball where you think everything's rolling. You think one thing and you wake up a day or two later and boom, things have completely changed. So let's talk about some of these guys that, they, that they're using as villains. But let me get a drink first. All right, pardon me on that. Um, so the guys that they're filling in with, Brad Peacock, David Paulino, and Francis Martez. Uh, Paulino and Martez are two of their big prospects that you could have expected would either get uh, get a chance to come up this year a little bit or potentially get moved in deals to bolster the team. And, and the latter scenario could certainly still happen because – if these injuries keep piling up, they're going to have to do something, right? You know, right now McCullers is on, you know, for back discomfort. I don't fully rule out that they're kind of using this back discomfort as a little bit of innings protection on Lance McCullers because they have been so good. You don't want to get too arrogant and be like, oh, we can't 
possibly lose this lead. It's a 12-game lead. We've seen 12-game leads from June evaporate. Like it, It's not out of the realm of possibilities at all. It's 10 in the loss column for the Rangers. But at the same time, they have to feel good about their lot in life right now in Houston. And so maybe they thought, hey, we're just going to slide John here for a couple weeks. Built-in kind of innings reducer. And then we'll get you back going, okay, Lance? I I don't know. That's that is a speculation though, and I and I don't think it's completely out of bounds. So anyway, let's get to these guys. Brad Peacock is looking like somebody who you might have a hard time getting wins from, even though he's on a great team, because he doesn't really go deep into these games. Part of it could be you know when he first came out because he wasn't stretched out yet. He was in the bullpen throwing some multi-inning stuff, but he wasn't ready to go five six. Uh, innings. So he went four and a third and four and two thirds in his first two starts, but he did strike out 16. So that was really impressive. And then at Texas, he finally goes the six innings. Uh, but then his next time out, he goes just three innings and gets beat up a little bit by the Angels. And then his last time out, which was also yesterday, uh, the 13th, four and two thirds against Texas, but only two hits, but four walks, 96 pitches, and 10 strikeouts. The thing of it is, you might only get a four to five inning guy, but the strikeouts are so appealing that you got to be interested. I, I I do think he has to be on a roster in all formats, and this is one of those that that doesn't necessarily mean your roster, and I know that can be a bit annoying. But you might have enough pitching to where you don't need to cut somebody just to get Brad Peacock. Like the guy you cut might be too good, and so I'd say no, not you, but there's somebody in your league. In just about every form, I think it's pretty much every format. You got to take a shot because if he can, if Brad Peacock can stretch himself out to the point where he can comfortably go 90 to 100 pitches and get the five to seven innings as opposed to the four to five right now, then all of a sudden you are talking wins and and with the strikeouts. Now, part of it is the strikeouts are are also the negative factor here that they are running up the pitch counts. He's gone 8, 8, 9, 1, and 10 strikeouts in these five starts, and that's how he has 70, 78, 86, 76, and 96 pitches uh, without you know going more than f- uh, five innings except once. So keep that in mind with Peacock, but the slider, is it, it's so nasty. It is such a nasty pitch right now, and it, it's got hitters just completely fooled. He's throwing faster, and I don't think it's it, it's not all just uh, uh, relief work. You always have to be careful of that when a guy comes in from the bullpen. Um, you know, don't just look at their bottom line velocity number. Go in and look at their game log, and you can see he's held his velocity for the most part coming out of the pen. He was more averaging ninety three ish. Um, as a reliever and now he's he's kind of you know he's more averaging 92 but even that tick uh even losing that tick is still better than what he was doing uh in previous seasons as as a starter so I, I think he's more 92 93 whereas in the past he was more uh you know 91 92 it's a small difference and that's not even the, that's not even the big thing with Brad Peacock I'm really more looking at that slider, which has just become a major weapon for him. 34%, which is a career-high usage for it. Total swing and miss monster. 14% swinging strike rate is huge for Peacock. So, yeah, you got to keep an eye on him, and I I think you got to scoop him up right now and just kind of watch him. And he's going to be fighting to keep a spot even even as the guys start to come back. And then if they do get whole, he probably will get pushed back. So keep keep in mind, it's a short-term thing right now with Peacock. But especially if you're trailing in strikeouts, you get him just for that usage, uh, and, and you're going to get some value. 
let's talk about Martez and Paulino kind of kind of together. Uh, they they've both come up and and gotten some work. Paulino was up first. He got three starts, and you know so far it's been pretty good. There 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 have been ups and downs, and in the thirteen and two thirds innings that he has, you're going to see some gaudy numbers that when you dig in, you're you're not as uh, uh, grossed out as you might be when you hear 12.5 hits per nine or 2.0 homers per nine. Well, that means he's allowed a homer in each of his three outings and he has, and he's gone four, five and two thirds and four. And then the hits he's allowed five, eight and six. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously if you keep those up, it's going to be problematic, but he also has a 410 batting average on balls in play, uh, for David Paulino. And he has, let's see, well, a 16% homer to fly ball rate is certainly on the higher end. It's not so gaudy that that yeah, you know that that alone is fueling his 2.0 homer per nine. I don't think that's the case. So he's going to need to keep the ball in the yard a bit more, uh, even if his if his homer to fly ball rate kind of comes back toward you know the the 10% average. He could still be a, a 1.0 homer per nine guy. But I like the uh, I like the walks that we're seeing so far out of him. One, one, and two. If he keeps walks in check, so that those homers aren't you know two and three run homers, because I do think that the hit rate will come back down. Twelve point five hits, four hundred BABIP. That's crazy. That's I mean that's not going to stick. Uh, I, I certainly think he's better than that. He's got swing and miss in his game. He throws ninety three. David Paulino's twenty three year old prospect, big time prospect in their system. There's going to be ups and downs though, so I don't think you can just go all formats with David Paulino. I'm really focused AL only, of course. Uh, and then deeper mixed leagues, another situation where it might not be your team that needs David Paulino, but there's somebody in your 15 team mixed uh, on whose roster he should be because th- there is still the upside to kind of click instantly and 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 be good in this in this uh, short term that he's going to get a chance to kind of debut for or to kind of audition uh, for for an extended role with the team. And again could be auditioning for a trade as well. If they do decide to try to go and get a Sonny Gray or a Jose Quintana, you can, you can be damn well guarantee that uh, David Paulino or Francis Martez is going to be part of that picture. Let's talk about Martez. He's just been up uh, very briefly, and he hasn't even gotten a start yet. I believe it was a piggyback, the outing that he had, because it was three and two-thirds. I want to say it was with Paulino. Let me check. No, it was with Peacock, and it actually wasn't a true piggyback. James Hoyt pitched an inning in between. So it was Peacock for three. That was the outing that he was poor in uh, against the Angels. Then James Hoyt for one, and then Martez for three and two-thirds. He allowed four hits, four runs, two walks, two strikeouts, and a homer. Um, so you know, not a great debut for the 21-year-old, but a much younger guy. Uh, I do think Paulino's ahead of him, not just because of the age. I just think his, his stuff is a little bit uh, more refined at this point. Uh, and you would expect that, right? Just the two years alone w- would be a big. So I get, maybe it is just because of the age. I mean, maybe I'll backtrack on what I'm saying because I think the uh, the long term upside. I think a lot of folks favor Martez on that in terms of prospect rankings. Um, and 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 again, that could be the age the other way though, right? Because if they're they're at the same level, um, they're both in AAA. Martez being two years younger, I understand why people would be more bullish on his future compared to Paulino who's 23 so he kind of you know should be a little bit more prepared that said then it then it goes in Paulino's favor when you're talking about being at the major league level as a 23 year old with a bit more experience uh Paulino has 210 minor league innings and uh here's an interesting thing he doesn't have more experience though uh Paulino has 210 minor league innings Martez has 354 
That's really interesting. So maybe that factors into people being more excited about Martez as well. They're like, hey, he's younger, has more experience, has uh, maybe better raw stuff. For me, I really like both guys, though. I, I really do. Um, they're interesting. You know, Paulino, 6'7", 215. Martez kind of on the other end there, 6'1", 225. A little bit more compact. Paulino long and lanky. You know I dig that as somebody who's 6'5", 175. Um, Chris Sale, shouts to you. Sick body type dog. Anyway, Martez, I, I would prioritize even less than Paulino. Uh, in terms of, yes, AL only, for sure, for sure. You have to take a shot on these kinds of guys. The pitching environment we're in, any top prospect that comes up, you got to jump. You have to. And I'm going to get into that again with another prospect here in just a moment. In fact, let's transition him because I kind of said my piece on uh, Martez and Paulino. They're going to definitely be the first guys to get moved out as uh, everyone gets healthy. I don't think they're trying to rely on either of these guys. If one of them surprises, you know, we'll, we'll assess from there. But for now, I think they're both temporary Paulino and Martez. Paulino's in the rotation. Is Martez officially in it now that McCullers is hurt? Let me look. Dude, yes, he is. And he's actually going today. Okay, he goes today against Texas. So I'll be interested to see how his first start goes. And then Paulino hosts the Red Sox on Friday. So uh, going to be interesting to see how these two go this week. And maybe we'll have some more thoughts on them as they pile up some more innings. Maybe Eno and I uh, will talk about uh, at least Martez. Perhaps. We'll see. Next guy is, is Sean Newcomb. Talking about another prospect that comes up. So, again, immediately NL only, you got to go right away. I'm sure you guys already were bidding on him this past weekend. Totally get that. You have to. Mixed leaguers, I think you need to take a beat on this one. I think you need to step back a little bit and not go too crazy on Sean Newcomb. And this comes from somebody who likes Sean Newcomb. I really do. Um, I don't, I haven't seen him a whole lot. I'm not going to pretend that. I watched a couple videos on uh, MILB.TV, the minor league stuff, and, and clips on YouTube and read assessments of him. I do not have some some deep, detailed experience with him. I just like I just like the bits that I've seen, and I like the stuff. I like the size, uh, 6'5", 255. Oh, man, I would kill to be 255. That would be awesome. Um, the swing and miss stuff is great, but this dude has walked five batters per nine in 348 minor league innings. He comes up and has a brilliant debut against the Mets and walks two, and I think he's going to mislead some folks there into thinking that, uh, that he's got a bit more command than he does because I guarantee, I guarantee people are going to go short small sample Sammy here and, and just overrate the hell out of that one star because he is a hot prospect who came up and, and dealt. This is not who he is right off the bat. It's not. The swing and miss, yes, 12% swinging strike rate. The curveball was devastating. Uh, the Mets couldn't lay off of it. There will be ups and downs. And in, unless I see something that suggests that there is a major change in Sean Newcomb's control, I am not going to believe that, that he's anything less than, than at least four walks per nine. Like that, I'm, that's, that's the starting point of where I'm putting uh, Sean Newcomb right now at like, you know, a double digit walk percentage. Now you can have success with a double digit walk percentage if you're missing enough bats. Hello, Robbie Ray. So I don't rule out that he can have success, but he strikes me as somebody, Sean Newcomb, if he does in fact have an extended stay of success, it's going to be one of those uh, quality ERA bad whip situations with strikeouts. And so you you got to make sure that if you're if you're hurting and whip, this is not the guy for you. This is not, you could still get him because talent's talent. Maybe you can flip him. Um, I'm always okay with that. Like getting a guy who 
at this high end, a top prospect like this. Let me see. He was, he was a top uh, forty. He was forty-four. At, and I'm looking on Baseball Reference right now, so I don't have Eric Long and Hangen's uh, list. And I apologize. He was uh, eighty at Major League Baseball, seventy-eight at Baseball America, forty-four at BP. Let me see if I can find Eric's list. Oh, it's still in his top. The top one hundred is actually in Newcomb's last five articles, so this will be easy. He has him. Why isn't it working? He did not make the top 100. Other prospects in consideration. So he did not have him in his top 100. Eric Longenhagen didn't. And as you can see, um, you know, Major League MLB and BA were were back in there, 80 and 78 respectively. Baseball Respectus was higher at 44. Um, there. I'm torn on a guy like this because, like I said, I like him. I want him to come up and be great right away. I just don't see it. And I I do worry that those that only know of him as a big prospect and maybe don't know so much about his his coming up through the minors with that major walk rate are just going to see that first start and be like, boom, hot prospect, pitching well, let's go. Tap the brakes, adjust your expectations, and get ready for some walks. There's going to be a lot of walks. All right, that's Sean Newcomb. Uh, Jacob Faria is a guy that we had recently talked about. Um, it looked like he was kind of one and done with Matt Andres coming back, and then Matt Andres got hurt right in his return outing, which really sucks, man. You never like to see that. First of all, you never like to see anybody get hurt unless you're a weird, crappy person. But, um, you know, especially a guy working back, he, he's, you know, hey, I'm healthy, let's go. Goes out, gets hurt immediately. That sucks. Uh, that said, you know, it does open up the opportunity for Faria to come back. And boy, did he take advantage of that in this first outing right back. Um, at Toronto, six and a third, six hits, one run, one walk, eight strikeouts. Woof, was he looking good. Jason and Eno and I uh, kind of got a, a little text chain that we have, and they were both raving about it. I actually didn't get to watch the start last night, but they were raving about what he was able to do. You know, four-pitch mix. Uh, sits 92, 92.4. So, you know, he's in that 93, 94 range with regularity to be averaging 92.4. Um, has the, the four velocity bands, really. Goes from 92 on the fastball to 85 on the slider to 80 on the change and then 75 on the curve. It's, an, it's a, it's a show-me curve. It's a 6% pitch right now. But I do like that he's getting a lot of swings and misses. He had five strikeouts in his debut and six and a third. So we're seeing big swing and miss here. Um, and that, that marries with, with his minor league track record. Now, this is another guy. He didn't quite have the same walk issues that, that Newcomb had, but he certainly had walk. Um, you know, he, he, he wasn't uh, allergic to the walk by any stretch of the imagination. There were ebbs and flows to his walk rate. He, he finished, uh, his minor leagues with a 2.9. Well, I shouldn't say finish. He could obviously go back at some point, but to this, to this point, he has 599 innings of a 2.9, uh, walks per nine mark and let me get you the walk rate eight percent so about average right but he's been at six percent so far my point is is that there, there could be a few more walks going forward but i don't think it's going to be such a, a major factor i just see the two and the one uh, the the three walks so far i don't want people to overrate that so i shouldn't have invoked newcomb's name because he's nowhere near newcomb in terms of walk issues walking command issues but i i wanted to be clear that uh i don't think he's automatically awesome at limiting them particularly in the high minors uh in double a AA and triple a his rates the last few years 
uh, in double A, 10, uh, 10% and 11% in 15 and 16. And then in triple A, 12% last year and 9% so far this year. But the swinging strike rates, if you look on his player page, we have swinging strike rate now for minor leagues. Go to their player page, click minor leagues, and it's right there. Well, actually, you have to do a custom field where you add. Sorry, I forget sometimes that I have a custom thing. So you go to dashboard and it, it says dashboard and customize. You click customize, you'll see the list of stats. You add swinging strike rate, and then you click minor leagues, and you'll be able to see it. He had a 15% mark. Faria did at AAA this year, 11%, 13%, 14%. Back in high A in 2015, he had a 33% swinging strike rate in 74 innings. That's bananas. I wonder if that's some incomplete data because it seems wild to have a 33% swing strike rate for that long. So I'm, I'm, I'm only going to give credence to the high minors ones. Those are a lot more in line with uh, what you'd expect to see even from, from a big strikeout guy. But I like a lot of what Jacob Faria is doing. Jason comped him to Matt Andres, you know, that he could be somebody like what Matt Andres is doing. Matt Andres has been having a quality season. And so uh, that comp fits. And, you know, I think there's room for even a little bit more, uh, particularly since um, actually hang on let me see if I got this right before I spout it off yes particularly because Faria has never really had a major home run issue whereas Andres has you know given up home runs in the past um, so he could be kind of an Andres plus if you, if you look at it. you know 1.2 homers per nine in, in Matt Andres's major league career 0. 0.6 in Faria's minor league career now the majors are going to be tougher than the minors but even if you add to that uh, you're not going to see anything that's that's uh too crazy so i i like jacob faria all formats add for me he's probably added in a bunch of them already and then if it's fastest finger you have ads all throughout the week then he was added uh, after last night's start but if uh he was ignored in your mixed league because they thought he was going to go right back down and now you do have him available this weekend i would certainly get jacob faria i i tend to trust a lot of um uh, tampa bay prospects I, or, or at least favor them um, I think they do a really good job of, of bringing up prospects and, and bringing them up when they are ready. So I'm really intrigued to kind of see what Faria does with, with an extended stay. All right, then the last guy I'm going to talk about is Buck Farmer. And I know some of you guys are probably a little bit miffed at Buck Farmer because he was your big pickup this past weekend, and then he got thrashed. Are you really that surprised? Okay, listen, I believe I said something to the effect of, like, I totally get why people got to get him, right? He comes out, throws 12, uh, 13 scoreless innings with, with 16 strikeouts and six hits, three walks. I get it. And now those, you know, there was a, a, an extra rotation in between those. Those, those were 10 days apart. But, um, you know, I get, I get why people went out and got Buck Farmer. But at the same time, you can't be too surprised when the guy who had, you know, a career 684 ERA, 167 whip with 7.1 strikeouts and 4.8 walks and 1.8 homers and blah, blah, you know, keep going, who was awful for 79 major league innings before this. You can't be that surprised when he kind of comes back to earth, comes crashing back to earth sharply. Now that if the first two starts were on the holy cow, he can't keep this going. And then in fairness to him, this start is on the holy cow. It will never, you know, it won't go this wrong um, all the time, you know. So put him somewhere in between. Well, what is that? You, you take the two good, you take the one crappy, and he's got a 352 ERA and a 117 whip. I would bump that still. I would still bump that up 
to say 380, 130. And what I'm really hoping for is that the strikeouts are real. And he still got four in his two and a third against the Diamondbacks. Even when they were pummeling him, he still got four strikeouts. So if you can get some reliable strikeouts with, with a high threes ERA and, you know, maybe high high one twos, but low one threes is more likely for the uh, for the whip. I think that's going to work for Buck Farmer. But you can't be too surprised that that happened. The worst thing you could do, though, is if you dumped a bunch of fab into him and he has this bad start, and then you immediately cut him. Like, don't be that reactionary. That That's not going to serve you well at all. He gets a start against Tampa Bay this weekend. Take a look at that uh, and assess it from there. He goes up against Faria, actually. So, I'm, you know, I'm going to be watching that. I watch, I watch the Tigers um, all the time. So, you know I'll be on that. I'll have some thoughts on that uh, on, on that start Sunday afternoon. So, we'll, we'll see how both those guys do. But, yeah, don't. Don't completely jump off board, but you had to know that you that you were taking a big risk with Buck Farmer. Like the the thinness of the waiver wire, the sketchiness of pitching. Again, I fully, fully understand. This is not a I told you so or anything, because I did not tell anybody don't go get him. I was just saying it is still Buck Farmer. Let's 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 go start to start here. But he had a rough start. He just he just didn't have it. He just didn't have it. This Arizona Diamondbacks offense is a good offense. They were on him. Uh, and they beat him around the yard a bit. So take it start by start right now with Buck Farmer. We'll take a look on uh, on his Sunday start, see where he's at. Uh, but anyway, that, that that's a handful of pictures I just wanted to talk about. Hopefully you enjoy, uh, even though there's no unifying thing, I ho- hope you like that it's kind of like a pitcher smorgasbord. But uh, yeah, let me know what you think about these where it's just kind of all around. But, you know, I'll do it. If I do it like this, it'll be all hitting or all pitching, but it might not be anything beyond that. So uh, anyway, this solo episode in the books and i'll be back tomorrow with you know thanks for listening peace